Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you, five people. Wow. You had extra sleep and that's what you gave me? Come on now, come on. Merry Christmas. Turn to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. Turn to your neighbor with their candles on and say, turn it off. It's not time yet. Hey, don't be so eager. They got to turn those down. You're breaking the rules right now. It's going to kill the effect. Uh, we're going to uh, have those at the very end. Uh, if you're wondering why we didn't do regular candles, is because we just got the yes from this place, and it would be frowned upon to burn it down the first Sunday you're in it. Yes? Can we agree with that? So uh, we are going to uh, light these candles, and then, you know, uh, it's going to be special. So we'll just hold on to those. Uh, it's a family service, so kiddos are in the service. Uh, so enjoy that. Uh, if you hear a little uh, sound here and there, uh, the Lord smiles at the sounds of the kids, all right? Uh, and so let's smile with the Lord, all right? Um, Anyways, before I go to message, I've noticed this past decade that more songs are being written about the weather and the changing of the seasons about Christmas time. But today we're not going to talk about the weather or the change of the seasons. We're going to talk about our Savior and how he changed the world. That, that's, that's the heart today. Don't be wrong. It's always fun to talk about your favorite Christmas album or Christmas song. My favorite Christmas album is NSYNC's Christmas album. Anybody else? Wow, that's a lot. My NSYNC people! I love our church. Right when I think you couldn't be any cooler, you just raise the bar. You know what I'm saying? So NSYNC, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. Anybody else Die Hard? Yeah, wow. Wow, yeah. John McClane had plans. Christmas Day and he saved the world. Come on. Um, I love that. And then Home Alone and Elf. I love those ones also. But today what I love is, I've heard this verse so many times in my life once I started going to church. And it's basically just the birth of Jesus. It's an amazing verse. But what I want to do today is I want to kind of ask questions behind the verse. I want to ask, why did he even have to come? I want to ask, what was he birthed into? What did the culture look like? Was, was there hopelessness or was there a bunch of hope? I want to also look, how does that impact us today? And we're going to figure that out. Does that sound good? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're going to do today uh, in church. Oh, Lord, I pray right now that as we read Luke 1, that this will be fresh to us. Lord, just because we've heard it before doesn't mean it doesn't have the same power. Uh, that it did 2,000 years ago, Lord. We are in a high school 2,000 plus years later oh, celebrating the one that was birthed in a manger. Lord, we love you. We love you. May my words fall to the floor and may your words soar. And everybody sit. All right, Luke 1. We're going to start with verse 26, I believe. I think it should be on the screen. Here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. That's one of the greatest things about Christmas. The Lord is with us. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, if you have found uh, for you have found favor with God. Oh, I love that we found favor. Go. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord God will never end fail. Such a rich scripture. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. Mary responds like a gangster. I mean, she's like, oh no, no. She goes, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. 
You actually look at the Greek context. This is not a, a fearful response. It is a let's do this. Let's have Jesus come to this world and change it. It's an amazing response by Mary. But what I want to do today is I want to kind of look at the three points of why was he born, what Jesus was birthed into, and how uh, this impacted us today. Let's do the first one. Why was he born? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it up a little bit today. We're going to start with why was he born. So why was he born? Real quick. First thing, uh, very simple. Jesus came into your life to explode your life and change everything. Does that sound good? Let's scare you a little bit? It should a little bit, okay? Now let's look at the uh, idea of Christmas and the ethos of Christmas. It's about a baby being born. My best friends recently just had twins, okay? Uh, Andrew and Christina Gard, Andrew preached here, uh, I think our 14th week. For nine years, they were praying and hoping that they would have kids. Try, try, trying and going to the doctor, nothing was happening. And the title of my message is when hope is birthed, when hope is birthed. And so their hope was birthed two times. They had twins, okay? Yes, yes, a little justice and a little Addie Grace. And so I was like, oh my gosh, how amazing is it? Now, something you need to know about Andrew is that Andrew is a man of routine. He eats at the same places. I mean, since I've known him, same places. We go to Florida, now he has the same place. He's on Monday night. They go to uh, Disney World once, uh, once or every two weeks on the dot. This is what they do. They've married for 12 years, no kids, living the life, okay? They go to movies when they want to, all that kind of stuff. Well, these twins come into their life, and it's a weekend, and we're FaceTiming. And I was like, Drew, how you doing, man? How you doing? How are the kids? And he's like, at, to the camera in the FaceTime, he goes, I haven't slept in a week. <laughs> it's like they've bound together. One cries and the other one sleeps, and then the other one cries and the other one sleeps. We don't know what to do. And I was like, I was like, oh, I mean, so, I mean is it that hard? He's like, I, I had no idea. Like, we don't, we, I don't remember the last time I ate. I mean, just going off, you know? I'm like, Drew, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, you know? Kids came on the scene, no Disneyland forever, you know? No sleep forever. Um, now five weeks in, they're getting their rhythm with the kids, but it's a brand new rhythm, completely different from the one they used to have. And here's why Jesus came into your life, and I want, this is going to make sense in just a second. Matthew uh, 1, 22 through 24 says this, and she shall have a, will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I Man, Jesus came to save you from your bad rhythms. He came to save you from a selfish rhythm. He came to save you from a religious rhythm. He came to save you from a legalistic rhythm. He came to save you from the rhythm of culture that is going to actually wear you out and not bless you. He came to save you from that. He came to save you from this thing called sin that will literally kill your life. He came to bring light to actually bring you life. It's a great thing. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Caleb stole my verse too, Michael. I'm ticked. I can't believe it. This guy. You know what I'm talking about? Caleb, you know? Dresses the best, looks the best, and then steals my verse. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Uh, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I wrote this down, Tyler Johnson quote. If you like it, keep it. If you're not, you can toss it out. To save us and not be with us makes him a scary, distant God. To be with us and not save us makes him like a mascot or just a cheerleader. Oh, but to save us and to be with us makes him Jesus, our Savior. I want you to catch this real quick. I was trying to fight to get my old rhythm before we planned the church. But the Lord birthed Mission Church and it exploded my life in all the right ways. It made me less selfish. It's made me prioritize the things I'm supposed to prioritize. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to do a couple um, rhythms and I want to know which one you identify with because God wants to explode that rhythm. If you have a religious rhythm, this is kind of what your rhythm of life probably looks like. The rhythm of religion is simply try, try some more, get discouraged, give up, repeat religion, try, try some more, get discouraged, and give up. Over and over again, the religious rhythm of try, try some more, get discouraged, and give up. Jesus says, I'm going to come save you, and I'm going to pull you out of that rhythm, and I'm going to give you a rhythm relationship that is not trying, but actually surrendering and receiving, and watch what I do with your life. 
Maybe it's, you have a legalistic rhythm. Make some rules. Enforce some rules. Fail at your own rules. And then everybody thinks you're a hypocrite. Repeat legalism. Make some more rules. Oh, enforce those rules. And then fail at your own rules. Oh, hey, what's up? I'm a hypocrite. Repeat legalism. Legalism, do this. I don't even do it that well, but you should do it. Keep doing it. I'm a hypocrite. Repeat. This is the rhythm of legalism. You've seen it in church throughout your life. That's not going to be mission church. Then the, the rhythm of culture. Oh, let's look at the rhythm of culture. Wake up. Get dressed, get paid, live for Friday. Okay, get back. Wake up, get dressed, get paid, live for Friday. I feel like that could actually be a song, by the way. I feel like it's got a good sound, right? It's got a good little, yeah, uh, get paid, live for Friday, right? So you wake up, get paid, live for Friday, all the above, okay? And then Jesus comes in and says, you weren't supposed to live to just wake up, get paid, and live for Friday. This is not the purpose of your life. He wants to save you from the rhythm of culture that will suck you dry. Chasing after money and power when you're supposed to chasing after the, the water that is living water, which is Jesus. Oh, and then he wants to save you from yourself. It's all about me, not about you. I go to church, and it's not about me, so then I'm going to leave you. And I'm going to go to another church, and it's still not about me. Oh, it's still about you. Oh, I hate it. Oh. What happens when life is all about you, it's very small and unsatisfying. When people are unsatisfied at church, the first thing I want to say to them, but I'm not brave enough yet, is be like, wow. Okay, the Lord wants to do something in your selfishness because you're so unsatisfied because you're making everything about you. Well, worship wasn't just that good for me today. It wasn't for you. It wasn't like, again, like uh, first song, solid, second song, third song, great, uh, I love it. No, that's not, it's not for you. Well, I just feel like I don't know where I'm supposed to, you know, like where's my spot? Where, where, am, I, where am I at? Where's my spot? Where's your spot? How do you glorify the name of Jesus? It, especially in this church season in my life when I've had conversations with people at times, I'm like, 350 people have got saved. This is a brand new church the Lord has breathed on in a way that I never thought I could see happen. And, and you're upset because you don't know if you want to serve in kids or a welcome team? Oh, your, your world's going to be small if that's, that's what's going to own you. Jesus wants to save you from that rhythm. Now, here's the verse what he says real quick. I don't hear it. Are you tired or worn out? Maybe some of you came here tired or worn out. Came here a little, a little, a little weak. Burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And Jesus wants to recover your life. He wants to give you a new rhythm. I'll show you how to take a real uh, rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who wants to live freely and lightly? I went to a party, uh, a.k.a. a wedding, about two months ago, and it is amazing going to a party and just having a blast, a blast. The kingdom of God is actually called a party, not a church service. And so Jesus came to actually show us how to party, how to dance, how to live life. His first miracle was at a wedding. Now, at this wedding, I had no idea, but our children's pastor is one of the best dancers I've ever seen, okay? Yeah, he it kills it. Josh, get up here. Get up here, Josh. Where's Josh at? I did not tell Josh first service I was going to do this because I didn't know if I was going to have time, but I, I did it. But now he's maybe a little more ready, okay? So uh, Josh comes out there, and he starts dancing, and these are just some of his moves. Go show me some of your top three. Just show me your moves. Okay. Moves very well. Moves very well. Give me some more. Yes. 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 Boom. Yes. He's just smooth, right? Oh, you gave, you, gave, you gave 930 more. It's like, that's all you get today. So that's Josh at a wedding, okay? This is me at the wedding. I just jump around. I do sticky shoes. I stick my shoes. I'm like, oh, I'm stuck to the floor. This is how I dance at the wedding, okay? And then I see Josh. He's like, I was like, who taught you to dance like that? And then everybody, you know, me, I'm like, 
<sighs> Catch this real quick. Jesus comes on the wedding, and I believe he comes into our life and says, man, you've been dancing the wrong way. You've been dancing the dance of selfishness, the dance of religion. I want to show you the dance of grace. I want to show you how to live a little different. I want to show you the dance of love, the dance of serving, the dance of forgiving. Because when you learn how to dance like me, people at a party and say, man, how did you learn how to do that? Why he came was not just to be birthed uh, uh, this transcendent, imminent God, just so we go, God. No, he came to say, come be with me. Watch how I do it. Watch how I jump. Watch how I dance. I don't see, isn't that terrible? He, I was trying to do the Josh. I was like, whatever. Okay. Um, my, my prayer today is that when you leave here today, that you would understand that it is going to be a journey of you surrendering your rhythm and giving a new perspective of saying, God, I want to follow you today. I get it. That's why you came as a baby. You showed us you lived a life as fully man, fully God. You did not sin. You loved when people didn't love you back. You forgave when you were betrayed. You served when you were the almighty God. I want to serve instead of take. I want to love instead of hate. I want to give instead of take. Lord, help me be like you. Let me, may I dance like the king. Amen? Amen? I want you to catch this real quick, and it's very simple before we go on the next one. One of the biggest things that I've seen in mankind, and it's just Genesis 3, is I believe that sin birthed a different rhythm in your life. When sin was birthed in Genesis 3, I want you to catch what happened in, with sin. It, it's very quick, but it says, at the moment their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Now our culture hates the word sin. It sounds gross. It sounds, how dare you call me a sinner? But really what sin is, is it makes us feel broken. Sin makes us feel shame. Sin makes us feel insecure. Sin makes us prideful. It's all these things. We use different terms, but sin is still around. goes on to say that... Uh, they went to go cover themselves with fig leaves. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. I don't know about you, but so many people hide from God in so many different ways. They hide in the religion. They hide from just not going to church. They hide from trying to create the conversation, not about a relation with the Lord. But well, what do you think about this question? So they make it about everything except Jesus. So they go and hide because that's what sin makes us want to do is hide from God. The Lord God called the man, where are you? Oh, what a question from the Lord. The omniscient God knows where they are. He's actually asking for Adam and Eve to teach them, where are you? What happened to us walking together? And I believe the Lord asks us all, that all the time. Where are you at today? Are you distant from God? Are you close to God? And if you are distant, God is pursuing you today. That's why you're here. He's pursuing you today saying, hey, come be with me. Goes on to say, he replied, I heard you walk in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Stop. When sin entered the world, Man got really creative and started learning ways to cover up their sin. The way that this was introduced right away on his, on his toes, like, okay, we sinned. What do we do? Let's get some fig leaves. Let me tell you about fig leaves. They're the itchiest leaf you can put on yourself, basically, okay? They are unbelievably itchy. So they put the fig leaves on. Oh, oh we're all better now. No more shame in my life, you know? I could just imagine God and the angels pulling up on Adam and Eve, like, oh, give them something different. Those are so itchy. What were they thinking? Sin makes you stupid. It's that simple. Makes you do things you shouldn't do. And so they tie these fig leaves on themselves to try to cover their shame, to cover their fear, to cover what they did. And what happens today in our world is we try to cover everything uh, that we've done with our own efforts, with our own money, with our own mask. And Jesus says, no longer will you cover yourself. I don't even want to cover your sin. I came to destroy sin. So my prayer is that you would understand that you are now whiter than snow, that he came to make your sins as far as the east is from the west. That's why he came. All right, let's look at what, uh, what he came into, what he came into. What did Jesus come into? Now, give context. I feel like it's always interesting. 
And maybe this is just me, but I've met people. I'm like, man, God's got great plans for your life. You should start dreaming and start hoping for great things. And they're always like, you don't know what I was born into. You don't know my family. You don't know my background. You don't know what's going on right now. You, you can be so positive from the platform. You can say God did this and God did that, but you don't know what he was born into my life. You don't know what's going on. I don't know if Jesus could birth what you're saying in this mess. Jesus was birthed into a mess. Jesus was birthed into darkness. Jesus was birthed into oppression. It's not about how big the mess is. It's about we allow Jesus to be birthed into your mess. And so Jesus has this amazing moment in the Bible. He's birthed in a manger. But what is going on Why he's being birthed in a manger? Let's go back a little bit. There was a king of the Jews named Herod. Herod decided to name himself Herod the Great. Herod the Great was one of these people who, was, uh, who knew the who's who of this time. He was friends with a guy named Mark Antony. You may know him. He was married to this lady named Cleopatra. Julius Caesar was one of his friends who actually he, had, he lost for a little bit, but then actually uh, made him uh, King Herod of, uh, of the Jews. And so uh, you have this Herod the Great who's king of the Jews. Now, not only is Herod the king of the Jews, he's one of the richest people ever in history. Historians say that he had almost 500,000 people on his payroll. 500,000. Not only did he have 500,000 people on his payroll, but he was a great builder. So when he came to the king of the Jews, uh, became king of the Jews, he felt um, a resistance from some of the Sanhedrin and some of the subjects. So what did he do? He took 6,000 plus Roman soldiers and just started a massacre. There were small alleyways, so the soldiers would go through the alleyways and just slaughter the Jewish people. Anybody who opposed Herod, kill him. The Sanhedrin, 37 plus of the 70, killed him. And so you got to ask yourself this question. Is this a way that you birth being a king? I wouldn't do it that way. Jesus knew it that way. But this is how Herod the Great did it. And so after he births his, um, his authority, he goes on to show people how great he is. He heard about David. David hid in a cave. So Herod the Great said, okay, if David hid in a cave, I'm going to be better than their king David. I'm going to build a palace in the cave. You can Google Masada. Masada is what he built. It was a three-terraced palace with pools, running water, all these things into the side of a cave. It took years and years, but he wanted to show people, I'm better than King David. I'm Herod the Great. Then he hears about Solomon's temple. So he says, you know what? I want to show people that I'm better than Solomon. He hires 18,000 workers. 40 years later, builds a temple to show, hey, I'm better at building temples than Solomon. I'm greater than King Solomon. And then after that, he goes, you know what? I want to suck up to the Caesar. I want to show Caesar how great I am. Israel was located on a swampy marsh. There was no port. And he knew that if you had a port, it became uh, making you more affluent and made you richer. So here's what he did. Drain the marsh. He drains the marsh, brings in concrete from Italy. Not only does he bring concrete in from Italy, but the biggest port at the time was 60 acres wide located in Athens. He said, 60 acres, whatever. Give me 520 acres because my name's Herod the Great. Okay, so Herod the Great, 520 acres, builds a new port, pours concrete 80 to 100 feet deep. It's an amazing looking port. He's sailing in one day and he sees uh, the, the city of Israel and the port where he's at. And he doesn't like the way it looks. He says, cover it with marble. So they cover it with marble. This is what Herod the Great does. The Olympics come around. Just like today, how we have sponsors, the Olympics needed money to be ran. So guess who sponsored the Olympics? Uh, this year's Olympics are brought to you by Herod the Great. Thank you. It's like Coca-Cola almost, okay? So he sponsors the Olympics. This man's name is known throughout the land, King of the Jews, Herod the Great. What does personal life look like? King Herod, Herod the Great, had uh, 11 wives, 40-plus kids, and he was a suspicious man. He did not want anybody to take his power. The, the woman he loved most, historians say, was a lady named Marion Me. Marion Me. Name's not around anymore, so it's kind of hard to pronounce, but that was her name, and she had sons, and he always worried that she would kill him. Even though he loved her the most, he was still suspicious. What if she killed me and then had one of her sons become king? 
So he came back from travels, and she just looked at him the wrong way one day, and he felt so suspicious, he had her killed. And there are two sons. He said, all right, I want you to debate in front of me. Debate in front of me and show me who should live and why uh, you should live and who's, who's the best. As they're debating, he got annoyed and just had them both killed. This is the type of man that is ruling over the Jews at this moment. Not only that, priests that would rise up, high priests that had influence with other people, would, he would invite them to his house, and because he didn't like other people having influence, he would drown the priest at his house in his pool. Priest after priest, he would kill if he had any influence. Not only that, for him to take care of all the things that he built and to take care of the elite, he would tax the Jewish people 25% of grain and 50% of their fish. And you think that's not bad enough. Guess what the Jewish people had to do? 12.5% also to Caesar. Then there was festival taxes and other taxes that were put on top of it. Uh, historians say they were probably taxing anywhere from 80 to 90% of what they brought in. 60 to 8% of all Jewish people were farmers or fishermen to take care of the elite at this time. So this is what Jesus is birthed into. Herod the Great, the builder of all builders. I could have told you more. The Herodian, he built another palace on the water of the ocean where there was salt water, but he didn't like salt water. He says, build me a freshwater pool inside the salt water because I'm Herod the Great. This is what he did. Now, if we were at a casino, not that you'd ever go, okay? But if you were at a casino and I said, hey, let's, hey, and we were back then at zero AD, Jesus was born. I said, hey, take all your money. Who's going to be around 2,000 years from now? Herod the Great? Or Jesus in a manger. And if you are betting with your eyes, you would put all your money on Herod the Great. But if you are betting with hope, you would put all your money on Jesus. Not Jesus the Great, Jesus the name above all names. There's something to be said what he was birthed into. It was such a mess. It was so dark. It was a terrible thing. And this thing called hope was birthed into a dark world. And here's what I love about hope. When hope is birthed, nothing stands a chance. The worst thing King Herod ever did, Herod the Great, was he killed a ton of babies, two and under. He tried to destroy this thing called hope. The enemy hates hope so much that he will try to kill anything and everything around him to destroy this thing called hope. Now today we live in 2018 in the East Bay region. And I believe Jesus birthed hope at Mission Church. Because hope is not a thing, it's not a person, but it's Jesus. 40 years ago, there was a President, Prime Minister, the general over the Communist Party in China. Let me make sure I say his name right, so I'm just going to pull it up real quick. The name of uh, the Prime Minister at the time over uh, China was named, where is it at? Make sure I say it right. There it is. Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong was uh, in charge 1949 to 1976. He made China the Communist Party and the atheist nation. That was his job. He felt like his assignment on China 40 years ago was to delete Christianity. So he's exporting missionaries, killing Christians. If you're not doing what I say, you're done. The problem with Mao Zedong is he didn't kill hope. He failed miserably. There was 1 million Christians at the time when he was trying to get rid of them. Fast forward 40 years, there's now 60 million plus Christians in China. They're exploding with revival. You read the Telegraph, the Washington Post. These aren't just some random articles. They are predicting that China will be the number one Christian nation by 2030 because salvations are happening at a rapid rate where they can barely count them. Now, if you would have said 40 years ago, who's your money on? Mao Zedong, who's going to kill you or oppress you, and this is a communist? We declared an atheist nation, and there's barely any Christians around the billion people? Or would it have been on hope in Jesus? If you would have bet on Mao, you would have lost. 
I bet on Jesus every time. I put my hope in Jesus every single time. And so when we were planning this church, I came across that article before we even planned it. And I remember just kind of wrestling with the Lord, saying, Lord, what are you going to birth this church into? The least church region? I mean, I, when I was in L.A., everybody, I wasn't, I wasn't like scared to tell people I was a Christian. I wasn't scared to tell people I was a pastor. But now here if I tell them, they just shut down and they walk away from me. I, I'm, I'm in the least relational place I've ever lived. You want me to plant a church in this region? And the Lord gave me a picture, and this is actually when I actually read the article about what's happening in China. Even in Africa, oh, Africa 100 years ago, less than 10% were Christian. 100 years later, almost half of the nation is Christian, 40%. Hey, just so you know, don't let your pessimism about Jesus actually salt what he's doing. He's killing the game right now, okay? He is killing it. It is exploding everywhere. South America, you name it. The gospel is exploding. But guess what's happening here in America? They're saying it's done, it's dead, people have moved on, it's about money, it's about intellect, it's about academics. No, no, no. I'm not going to bet with my eyes. I'm going to bet with hope. I'm going to have faith in, in, in what Jesus said. And I believe we're on the front end of what they're going to write about what happened in the Bay Area. It was 4%, 4% Christian. And 30, 40 years later, over half, maybe even more than half. Let's just go crazy right now. Why not? Let's just do it. 80%. No, no, no. 90%. Okay? Like all of Google and Apple and all the people are like, hey, brother. Good morning, Christian. Good to see you. Hey, good to see you, brother. Every single one. Why not? I, I don't want to bet with my eyes. I don't want to bet with what history says. I want to bet what Jesus says, what he can do. If he was birthed in this time and overturned a nation, 2,000 plus years later, we're not, if you went on the streets today, do you know who Herod is? Herod who? Yeah, exactly. He was Herod the Great, supposedly. People are going to say, even businesses, do you know Fortune 500 companies go back to the 80s, over 40% are gone? We think these businesses are so big and they're never going anywhere. These big businesses, they come and go, but Jesus, he's not leaving. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me encourage you this. What Jesus was born into in your life, it is not bigger than what he can accomplish. Stop minimizing the power of God, the love of God, the plans of God. Jesus came, we're talking about rhythms. I grew up in a poor house, and nobody was a Christian in my home. I, it was an abusive home. I, it, was, it was a depressive home. I had a different rhythm in my life of just trying to survive. And Jesus took a poor kid, and he made him a rich man, because that's what he does when he births in your life. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to uh, finish with this. So what was he birthed into? Why was he birthed? And how does this impact us today? How does this impact us today? First Peter one three. It's been the theme of our series. It says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope. Everybody say living hope. Come on, he's given us a new birth, into a new living hope, a new rhythm, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John 3 says this. It's an amazing moment. This is how it impacts us today. What Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus, he's having it with us. Catch this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, will you, well, uh, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus was born a baby so you could be born again. Bam. That's the whole uh, reason of Christmas. He wanted to fulfill a promise, and he was birthed so you could be rebirthed. 
He was birthed into darkness so you could be birthed into light. He was birthed into hate so you could be birthed into love. He was birthed into betrayal so you could be birthed into acceptance. This is what Jesus did on the Christmas day when he came to this earth. Goes on to say, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. And I don't want to reproduce the same thing of culture. I want to re- Mission Church is not doing an old thing. You're not going to be a part of an old thing. The Spirit wants to do a new thing in you. He wants to do a new thing in this region. Are you open to actually having your schedule exploded a little bit this next season? Are you open for your mindset to maybe be renewed and not have a negative mindset, but maybe a mindset of the kingdom? He goes on to say, humans only reproduce human... Uh, Uh, I lost my spot. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Trying to give a picture of the Spirit. Ruah in the Old Testament is the Spirit. It's breath, wind. Pneuma in Greek is the uh, word for spirit. Breath, wind. He's saying, hey, Don't worry about where the wind comes from. Just be ready to receive the wind. Don't be worried about where life comes from. Just be ready to receive life. John 1, it's this amazing moment, and we're going to light these amazing candles in just a second. Thank you for your self-control. I know a lot of you are like, when can I turn this on? I saw some of you actually do it because you got that rebellious in you a little bit. You're like, whatever, you told me not to. I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, I forgive you. I get it. I've been there. I had that T-shirt. John 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything. Life to what? Everybody say everything. Come on. That was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Go back to Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve sin, and what do they do? What do they do? Look at this picture real quick. They go run and they go hide. They hide from their God. They hide from everything because they feel so much shame. And Jesus comes, and now what we do is we don't hide. It says in Hebrews 4.16, we come boldly, confidently. We come with a swagger, not because of what we did, but because of what he did. So when we come to the Lord, we don't come, oh, I hope he's okay with me. No, we come because he came and brought light and made us light, and light can hang out with Jesus. Will you stand up with me? I'm going to ask you to wait to turn this on. And I'm going to have one side turn it on first. I'm going to have this this side right here light your candles first. These two sections, please keep them off real quick. So sin makes us hide. But our Savior was born so we could stand proudly, not proudly in our own accomplishments, but what he did. Sin made us divisive. But our Savior came so he could unite us. Come on. Sin made us hate but our savior came to make us love oh sin made us dark but our savior made us light our church is called to bring light to dark places to bring love to hateful places to bring unity to divisive places and it doesn't happen on accident it happens when you actually see yourself checks out when you actually see yourself as what we're about to do will you guys raise your candles real quick We have a motto uh, here at our church, the mission statement. Our our mission is to change the world one person at a time. 
And when we started as a church, it was smaller than this group over here. We had 27 people. And we believed that if we actually owned the dream of becoming the light of the world, that we would become the love, oh, we would love first and ask questions later, that we would serve and we would lift up the name of Jesus, that we could maybe see a region, maybe the world transformed forever, and we would do it one person at a time. The only way that happens is that if you don't look at that person, you light the candle, I don't want to have a candle. No, when you realize, no, Jesus was light and he made me light so I could light up the world. And so we said one person at a time. Today we're going to do one group at a time, show you a picture. So this group's lit up. And then this group lights up. Go ahead and light up real quick. It's an amazing picture of what happens. The room gets brighter and brighter. Go ahead and do this section real quick. Light it up. I read a devastating stat this last week by Tom Rainier. He's a guy who uh, does research with the Pew and the Barna Group. 90% of Christians will not invite one person to church in a whole year. 90% of Christians do this for the entire year. 90% of Christians do this. But why we have a candlelight service is to remind us that Jesus came to the earth, not so we would only talk about him once in a while, but we would live a life that would point to him all the time, that we would dance different, that we would dance with love and joy and peace. We'd walk into places and people would ask us what's different and we would not do this, but we would say, I lift up the name of Jesus. You are going to be bold this next year, 2019. You will not be quiet. And you're not going to be loud with religion. You're not going to be loud with legalism. You're going to be loud with love. You're going to be loud with generosity. You're going to be loud with your time. And when people see love and generosity and a servant heart and a humility, they are drawn to the light of God. Oh, my prayer is that we would be a church that doesn't just lift a candle once a year, but we would be lit all year. So, Father, with the candles... Oh, raised up, Lord. This is not just something we do. This is actually something we plead for. Oh, set us ablaze. May we have a passion and a purpose for your kingdom. Oh, may the rhythm of this world be exploded. May the rhythm of religion be exploded. And may the light of the world start a new rhythm in our life.